You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, well, last week we began by talking about uh, this star called Polaris. Um, Of the one billion trillion stars in the observable universe, that's a lot of stars, can all agree on that. Of the one billion trillion stars in the observable universe, this one star, Polaris, is unique among them all. And it's unique because if you stood on the dot that would represent the North Pole, and you looked directly up over your head, you would find Polaris shining down upon you. Uh, It is directly over the North Pole. So here's what that means for Polaris. Um, Throughout the year, as all the other stars and constellations are changing uh, in the sky, uh, one time a year they might be here, the next uh, season they might be over there. All those stars are changing in their place in the sky. But this one star, Polaris, stays in its place. It stays put the entire year. So that if you are in the Northern Hemisphere, You can look toward Polaris and you can put your arms out and you can know when you are looking at Polaris, uh, my left hand is pointing west, uh, my right hand is pointing east, and I am looking to the north. Uh, This is why we call Polaris the the North Star, right? Because it is is always there giving us a sense of orientation. Uh, we we, We can make our plans based on that one particular star, its place in the sky. And for centuries, travelers, before there was such a thing as GPS, uh, those sorts of things, for centuries, travelers used that star to gain a sense of direction, uh, to get a sense of, okay, am I going in the right way? Are we moving uh, toward the right place? That North Star, what was their sort of position in the sky, that constant to orient their lives around. And we said last week that every Christian and every church needs a North Star star, a star by which we can orient our lives around, a star by which we can make sure that we're heading in the right direction. Every Christian, every church needs a north star so that we can set our face toward that star, hold our hands out and know, okay, there's west, there's east, here is north right before me. Now we can orient our lives around that marker in the sky. Every church, every Christian needs a North Star. Here is how we summarize and say what our North Star is. We, the people of Stonegate, here is what we do. We enjoy Jesus and we make disciples. There's our North Star. We enjoy Jesus and we make disciples. We enjoy Jesus. This was last week. Uh, We talked about Matthew 13 and this uh, one verse parable where a man is out in a field His shovel hits something solid, and to his surprise, he realizes he has unearthed a priceless treasure. So the man goes, and in his gladness, he sells everything he has. He sacrifices it all so that he can buy the field and enjoy the treasure forever. And we talked last week. What's the point of the parable? The point of the parable is to say, Jesus is the priceless treasure. There is nothing more valuable. There is no one more valuable than the person of Jesus. There is nothing in the universe with the capacity to dazzle a human heart like the person of Jesus. 
Nothing in the universe with that unique capacity to do that. Jesus brings a delight to the heart that is so deep and so durable that it ruins us for everything else. That is the person of Jesus. He is the treasure in the field. Or we could say it this way. Church, you were made for the enjoyment of Jesus. God has designed your heart to be dazzled by God, nothing else. There is nothing else that has the capacity to dazzle your heart like God. God designed your heart to be dazzled by God. We enjoy Jesus and we make disciples. We want other people to enjoy Jesus with us. We enjoy Jesus and we make disciples. I love how C.S. Lewis challenged the church when he said this. If the church is not making disciples, then all the cathedrals, all the clergy, all the missions, all the sermons, all of those things, he says, are a waste of time. I agree. If we're not making disciples, what are we doing as a church? If we're not making disciples, we are wasting our time. This is the big thing the Lord has set before us. So we're going to take a morning to think about this second phrase in the North Star. We enjoy Jesus and we make disciples. And to think about that phrase, make disciples, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. So if you've got a Bible, it would be so helpful to have that out and open there on your lap so that you can follow along and read along with us. Matthew chapter 28. Starting in verse 18, Jesus says this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I, I want to point out something that is not um, overtly clear in English when you read that translation. But there is one imperative, one command inside of these three verses. In this passage, there is one command. And here is the command. Make disciples. That's the command. Make disciples. Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, here's the mission. This is the marching orders. Uh, by the way, this is why it's called the Great Commission. Jesus is saying, this is the great thing I want you to join with me in on mission. Here is the great commission. Here it is. Make disciples. I want you to give your life to these things. I want you to be about this. What you possess, pass along. What you've received, replicate in the lives of other people. Make disciples. I love what one commentator said about this passage. He said, Christ's call to discipleship. So when, when he calls you to come and follow him, Christ's call to discipleship includes a call to disciple making. Every disciple of Jesus is meant to be a disciple maker with Jesus. Christ's call to discipleship includes a call to disciple making. You have been made to enjoy Jesus and make disciples. So let me just start by saying this. If you are giving your life to something less than the Great Commission, 
Disciple making. If you're giving your life to something less than this, then you're giving your life to something too small. Just want to let that linger over us for a moment. This is the great commission. Make disciples. And if you're giving your life to something less than this, you're giving it to something that is too small. In a lot of ways, Matthew 28 is in the Bible to function like a North Star for us. It's up in the sky of the scriptures so that we can look at it and gain our bearings. And listen, Jesus isn't saying these words to shame you as a Christian. He's not saying them to make you feel bad this morning. He is saying them so that he can put something huge up here for you to stare at and look at. Then as you're staring at that thing, that constant for you to be able to ask the question, is my life, does it look like this? Is my life heading in the right direction? Am I going to the right place? Is it about the right things? That's what this verse is up there in the sky to do for us. And so it's not to shame any of us this morning, but it is to ask the question, is this our life? Do we need a readjustment, a reorientation? Do we need to set a new direction in our life? The command, make disciples. Now, when I come across that command and I read that, go and make disciples of all nations. When I, when I come across that, it makes me instantly ask some questions. So there are a set of questions that just sort of arise in me. Let me just ask a couple of them when we come across that text. Um, If the command is to make disciples, well, we first need to figure out what is a disciple. If we're going to be making disciples, we have to know what one is. What is a disciple? Well, technically, the word means uh, to follow. So if you're a disciple of someone, you're following them. So that's the sort of technical sense. So we could say it in, in that technical way that a follower or a disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus. But in a more broad way of understanding that word, it is a way for people to identify with the person of Jesus. Uh, that word has been a word used now for a, a few centuries for Christians to be able to say, I am with Jesus. He has come and done a miracle in me of of bringing my dead heart to life where I have looked upon him as the priceless treasure and I have moved all of my life in with him. I've turned from my sin. Now I am following Jesus. I've trusted in Jesus. I'm believing Jesus. I am enjoying Jesus. That's a disciple. Now we... uh, we, we use a, a, a kind of a phrase or a sentence just to kind of give us some language as a church family to, to name and to say what a disciple is. And here's the language we use. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who is becoming more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. That's a good summary statement of that word disciple. It's a person becoming more like Jesus in all of life through the power of of the Spirit. So it's a person that's listening to Jesus, responding to Jesus, repenting of their sin to Jesus. More and more of their life is being conformed to the person of Jesus. That, that's a disciple, someone becoming more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. Make disciples. When I come across that phrase, that command, make disciples, it makes me next want to ask, well, what does it mean to do that? What does it mean to make a disciple? How do we know if we're doing that? What, what does that mean to make a disciple? 
I appreciate how Mark Dever talks about disciple making in his little blue book on discipling. Uh, he says it this way. He says, I'm using that phrase, uh, disciple making or to make disciples. I'm using that phrase as shorthand for saying this, for helping others follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in their lives. I think that's a good way to think about disciple making. It's a way of saying, I am gonna be about helping others, right? I'm gonna help them follow Jesus. I'm gonna do that by being deliberate to do spiritual good in their lives. I think it's a good broad kind of way of thinking about disciple making, or if we wanted to bring it back into our language, we could say it this way. It is intentionally helping someone become more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. It is, it is saying, I'm going to intentionally help this person in their discipleship to, to become more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. Now, I want to take a second to highlight the word intentional because I think it is um, a helpful word to distinguish uh, some nuances around disciple making. So let's think about the life of Jesus for a moment. I want to draw this distinction for you so that you can see we're all saying the same thing when we think about disciple making. So think of the life of Jesus. Um, Jesus was doing deliberate good. Right? He was helping others all the time in his life. So let me give you a, a kind of a, a maybe one way he's doing this. Um, one way he's doing this is in a bunch of one-off sort of moments. Um, there is a divine sort of encounter, Jesus and this person. And in any of those sort of divine encounters, Jesus is bumping into a person. Jesus is present in the moment. And he is seeking in that encounter, if it's 30 seconds or 30 minutes or three hours, he is seeking to do this person spiritual good. So think of Nicodemus. Uh, in John 3, Nicodemus comes and finds Jesus at night, and they have a conversation. And they're talking huge, big things. Jesus is clarifying uh, to him what it's going to take for him to, to be right with God. And so it's, it's a huge conversation. And so it's fair to say Jesus is is deliberately doing good in Nicodemus's life. Y yes, he's taking an opportunity where a person has sought him out, he's present, and he's doing him good. Okay, that is one way of thinking about a, uh, doing deliberate good. Now, I don't want to diminish that at all because that is a great way. We should all be present as the Lord brings people in and out of our lives to do them good. So I don't want to diminish that, but I want to distinguish what that is, John 3, that encounter with Nicodemus, I want to distinguish that from what Jesus did with his 12. Jesus had a crew of 12 people. Nicodemus wasn't in that crew of 12 people. And in this crew of 12 people, we call them disciples, right? In that crew of 12 people, uh, Jesus invited them into a circle. Jesus knew who was in the circle. Uh, the disciples knew that they were in the circle. And, and the people in Jesus' crew, Jesus is being intentional. Incredibly intentional. He is opening up every part of his life to them. He is spending an inordinate amount of time with them. His life is overlapping with them. It's, it's not just that he's having an encounter on a particular day with these 12 disciples. No, it is daily. He, he is, his life is just folded into their life and their life is folded into his life. It is a very intentional relationship where they spend three years together. 
lives doing this, overlapping, him investing his heart and life into them. And in that 12, he had a group of three that were even the, the inner, inner sort of circle. Peter, James, and John that he was doing even deeper work with. Now, when we're talking about disciple making, I want to make sure we're seeing what Jesus did with Nicodemus is a wonderful thing, but it is a different thing. I want to distinguish that from what we're talking about in disciple making. We are talking about developing a particular, clearly defined crew of people that you are taking ownership of and seeking their spiritual good and wanting to do deliberate good in their life, helping them intentionally, helping them become more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. Make disciples. When I come across that phrase, it makes me want to ask, what is a disciple? It makes me want to ask, what does it mean to make a disciple? And it makes me want to ask, well, how do we do that? How do we go about making disciples? Now, this passage actually is helpful to give us some parameters around that. And this passage doesn't tell us everything we might want to know about disciple making, but it does tell us the important things we need to know about the how of disciple making. In some ways, it gives us a grid through which we can see the how of disciple making. And to do that, it gives us one command. That big command is make disciples. And then it gives us some clarifying participles. There are some participles in this passage that, that give us the how, uh, that give us some handlebars to, to help us sort of get a grip on disciple making to, to say, well, how would we go about doing that? What does it actually look like? The how, three participles. Let me just run through these participles with you. Participle one is baptizing, baptizing. Look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. As an aside, uh, we have covered that phrase, all nations, in other moments. Uh, that is Jesus saying, I want you, followers of me, my disciples, to go into every nation, all the ethnicities in the world to make disciples. So, so this call of disciple making is, starts in a local church, goes to your neighborhood, and goes all the way out to the nations. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then here's the first participle we get here baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is clarifying a how of disciple making. How do we make disciples? Well, here's the first thing we learn. We baptize people. We do that by baptizing. So in other words, he's saying part of what disciple making looks like is it looks like someone turning their lives in the direction of people who are far from Jesus. And we befriend people who are far from Jesus. We intertwine our life with them. And we talk to them about Jesus, the priceless treasure, the one that we are enjoying, the one that our heart is delighting in. And we invite them into Jesus and we invite them into his body, the church. And then Jesus does what only he can do. He brings a dead heart to life so that they can see the priceless treasure of Jesus. And then he rescues and saves them. And then their first step of obedience is baptism. It's that initial identification with Jesus. It's their way of saying, I'm with Jesus and he's with me. That's baptism. It's, it's this initial identification with the person of Jesus. So here's the first thing we learn about the how of disciple making. The Jesus we possess is to be passed along to those who are far from Jesus. Jesus saves them, and then we get the joy of baptizing them. 
baptizing them. Now, let me just pause here, and we can maybe apply this in a couple of different ways this morning. Um, One way uh, for some in the room is to think about and ask the question, have I been baptized? Have I had that moment of publicly declaring my witness to Jesus, that that I am with him, he is with me, that that I am a follower of Jesus? Have you had that public moment of being able to say that to the world? If not, if you're a follower of Jesus, but you've never had that moment, your next step, the next thing you need to do in your walk with Jesus, in your journey with Jesus, is to be baptized. That would be the next step that you need to take. We're going to actually have baptisms next Sunday. They are some of our best Sundays of the year. Absolutely amazing. We're full next Sunday, but you can jump online, stonegate.church, and we would love to get you into our next baptism service, and we would love to celebrate Jesus' good work in your life. We would actually absolutely love that. So that's some in the room. That's your next step. Now, for others, when we come across that, that phrase, make disciples, Jesus is helping form our first thought. And our first thought should not be, who is in Jesus that needs to mature in Jesus? As great of a thought as that is, that's not our first thought. Our first thought is, no, who is far from Jesus that needs to meet Jesus? Now, part of how we have just tried to set that that emphasis of turning our life out toward people who are far from Jesus, part of how we've tried to set that in the culture of our church is by continually asking that question, who's your one? Who's your one? Who is that one person that is far from Jesus that you are begging the Lord to rescue and and save and redeem? Who is that one person that you're praying for and then pursuing by opening up a conversation about the person of Jesus? Who is that one person that is far from Jesus that you're praying for and pursuing? Now, next week, we are actually having our re-up moment. Uh, Typically, we do kind of three-month chunks. So uh, we do the first quarter of the year, the second quarter of the year, and then the third quarter of the year. We're in that third quarter. But that third quarter for us is going to be a two-month-long quarter. So we're shrinking it down. So next week, we are re-upping. So that means for everyone in our church family, this is your week to pursue. If you haven't initiated that conversation about Jesus with your one, pray up and then pursue. Open up that conversation about Jesus. And I hope when you hear that encouragement, you're not thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. But you're thinking, I have been praying and I want to see what Jesus might be up to in their life. Listen, you're not trying to force anything in that conversation. You are trying to be curious about the work of Jesus in them. And what if you have been praying and Jesus has been answering those prayers to prep their heart for that conversation so that when you open your mouth and start a conversation about Jesus, when you do that, you're going to be so surprised about what Jesus has been up to in their life. So this is your week. Pray for and pursue. Make sure you're having that conversation. Then come ready next week as we just ask the Lord again. For the rest of this year, who is that one person you want me to pray for and pursue? Make disciples. How do we do that? Baptizing. Here's the second participle. How, how do we make disciples? Well, we baptize, and then here's the second one. Teaching. Teaching. Look again at verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Again, this is Jesus clarifying the how of disciple making. How do we make disciples? We teach. You make disciples by teaching. We take what we know and we weave it into the life of another person. Disciple making. We make disciples by teaching. And we teach with intentionality. And let me just... um, Let me just remove a a sort of thought that I would hate to be there for any of us. You don't have to know everything to make disciples. You don't have to know Genesis to Revelation by memory. You don't have to know the answer of every question. Here's all you need to know. Jesus, you just need to be walking with Jesus, allowing the Lord to be teaching you. And then you turn that around and you begin to teach others. You begin to to take what Jesus has taught you and you begin to weave that into the lives of those around you. Disciple making, to make disciples requires us to teach. Now, here's the other big fear that I have for us. When we hear disciple making means teaching. When we think of the word teach, I think if we were to play a word association game, we instantly think classroom. We're in a classroom, some people are in some rows in front of us, and we are doing a monologue teaching a group of people. And I want to remove that imagery from your head. I think that imagery is there because most models of disciple making are purely informational, and that is a problem. This is not a purely informational type of teaching. Rather than thinking classroom, when you're thinking, I'm going to make disciples by teaching, think parenting. Parenting is a much better sort of image to form in your head about what teaching and disciple-making looks like. Parenting. Uh, Think about parenting with me. Parenting is highly relational. You're opening up your life to them. They're opening up their life to you. It's highly relational parenting. Parenting is time-intensive. If you've got a three-year-old in your house, you know you don't do anything else in your life, right? I mean, it is time intensive. Parenting is hours and hours and hours of investment into another human life. And parents, you you can't avoid this as a parent. You're teaching all the time. You, You can't stop teaching as a parent. And here is the first way that you teach as a parent. And by the way, it's the best way to teach. You teach by modeling. You're showing your kids the type of life that you want them to live and to imitate. And kids learn best. We all learn best by imitation. I mean, think of uh, when a kid comes out of the womb, they don't know how to do anything, right? And they learn first and foremost by watching. This is how they learn to talk. This is how they learn to walk. This is how they're learning almost everything in their life, modeling. Right? This is how we parent. We parent by modeling. Parents uh, teach by instructing. Your kids, I mean, they just, by themselves, it's going to be a disaster. So you're, you're talking to them about life. Here's how this part of life works. Here's how that part of life works. You need to pay attention to this. Pay attention to that. You're just constantly instructing, filling in the gaps of what they don't know. So parents teach by modeling, by instructing, and by correcting. There's just plenty of moments to correct in parenting, isn't there? It's like every day always, right? And this is, this is giving you opportunities to parent 
Right? Every time there's a moment of correction, it is a moment of disciple making. You're getting to say not this way, but that way. Here's why it's not this way. Here's why it's that way. Uh, correcting, this is one way that we teach. We teach by modeling, instructing, correcting, and we're doing all of that with a ton of encouragement, right? That's parenting. And that is your image for disciple making. Uh, disciple making, you think of it this way, is spiritual parenting. It's teaching. Now think about the ways that Jesus did this with his disciples. Jesus was not attracted to large crowds. Jesus did not go from one big event to the other trying to make disciples. That's not what he did. He picked 12 unassuming guys. He opened up his heart and life to them. It was three years of daily interaction, highly relational, time sensitive, and he taught them. He modeled what does it look like to walk with God? What does it look like to do life well? He instructed them, he corrected them, and he did all of that with a ton of encouragement. And those 12 unassuming guys ended up changing the world. Make disciples. And we do that by teaching. Jesus is just saying, would you please look at my life, look at what I did, and then just do that. Spiritual parenting, just, just do that. Look at my life and then just mimic it. Find the way that it would work in your life and just do what I did. How do we make disciples? We baptize, we teach. And then we get this third participle. Go, look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples. How do we make disciples? Go therefore, and make disciples. Now, typically when I hear this passage taught and we get to the word go, I hear it taught something like this. And by the way, this is correct. Um, they're going to say something like this. Um, that word go, the sense of that word is as you are going. So regardless of what you're doing in your life or what your life is kind of, you know, has in it, you're just, as you're doing that thing, you're making disciples. So as you go to work, you're just thinking about, I'm spending eight to five here, so I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to figure out how to apply it in that setting. When you're in your neighborhood, as you go in your neighborhood, you're thinking, how do I leverage the time I'm spending in my neighborhood to make disciples? In my home, I'm spending time with my kids, with my spouse. How, what does it look like for me to leverage this time that I'm spending here in this place as I go making disciples? That is beautiful and right and true. As we're going, make disciples. Yes and amen to that. But that's not the only thing that word go is doing. It is saying as you go, make disciples. But, but that word go is also bringing force to the command. It is Jesus looking at us and say, okay, now go and make disciples. Let, let's go get about this work. It's bringing force uh, to the command. It's Jesus saying, whatever else you may be doing in your life, don't miss out doing this. This is the big thing. Make disciples. That, that word go is, is Jesus looking at us and saying, don't try to squeeze disciple making into the margins of your life. No, do not approach it like that. Don't try to squeeze it in. Rather, reshape the entirety of your life around the goal of disciple making. That word go is Jesus saying, make this the organizing principle of your life. 
make disciples. That's the big thing. Now, everything else sort of works around that. Organize your life around that. Let, let me illustrate it this way. Um, picture for a second your life is contained in that glass. Okay, so everything that your life holds is here. Here is how most of us do life on a practical level. Um, there's just a lot of components that make up our life. All of these little pebbles are just components. So it is, gosh, we're trying to live in a way where we're making friends and we've got work that we do and we've got kids and we've got hobbies and we've got kids sports and we've got bills to pay and we're trying to mow the lawn and it's just all the stuff that happens in our life. And our life completely fills up and then we come to the big rock of disciple making and say, okay, I've got to figure out how to, to fit it in and to make it work, so I'm just going to kind of put it right there. And it just doesn't ever fit in our life. We just can't ever get disciple-making like into our life. It just, there's just no room for it. Now, here's the thing. I think on a practical level, this is happening to almost every one of us here. This is what our life looks like. Our life is full. There's very little margin in our life. Our life is so full of so many different things that when we come around to this command of disciple making, we're like, Jesus, I know it's there. I know it's called the Great Commission. I know, yes, but I think I'm going to have to leave that rock out. I just don't think there's a place for that rock in my life. I just, there's, there's, I, how would I ever fit that in? See, this is what our life looks like if we lose the go. If we fail to see the go that Jesus is bringing to this command of disciple making, here is what inevitably happens in our life. It looks like that. But here is what that word go does. That word go is Jesus saying, I want you to tip out everything in your life. So everything gets out and now you have a clean glass. Now we're rethinking everything in your life. Now, the first rock I want you to put in is disciple making. I want you to drop that rock right to the bottom of the glass. That one goes in first. And now we're going to reorient everything else in our life around the call to make disciples. Go and make disciples. So now the big rock is in. And now we can kind of figure out what's going to go beside that. Now we can maybe mow our lawn. And now, now we're going to make our friends. Now we're going to go to work. Now we're going to pay bills. Now we're going to do our hobbies. Now we're going to do all the stuff in our life. And all of those things are going to revolve around and orient around the main thing of making disciples. There's the picture of our life. That word go is in the scriptures so that you would see this and say, okay, that's what Jesus is calling me to. The big rocks go in first, and everything else is going to find their place in my life around the big things. The small things aren't going to win. The big things are going to win. They're going to go in first, and everything else around it. And friends, disciple-making is intended by Jesus to be a big rock, not a small pebble in your life. Everything's meant to be reoriented around this call to make disciples. Now, look down at the bottom of your Bible there. Uh, if you've got a study Bible in particular, there's oftentimes footnotes that you'll find. And those footnotes can be really helpful in, in understanding and discerning nuances in the text. 
right? They can be super helpful uh, in your scripture. So I would encourage you as you're reading the Bible all the time to be looking at those footnotes. Those are in there to be helpful to you. And I just want to point out and make an observation that down there in the footnotes, here's what you're not going to find. Go and make disciples if you're a professional. Go and make disciples if you're like in this elite crew of Christians and there's only like nine of them in the universe. It's not that, is it? There's no footnote that says that. This is for every single follower of Jesus. If you are a disciple of Jesus, there is a call on your life, not on somebody else's, on your life, to go and make disciples. To, to go and have your whole life reoriented around this call of disciple making. Okay, so let's stop here and, and linger and just ask the Lord to talk to us for a moment. For some of us in the room, when, when we hear this call of disciple making, the first thing we need to do is ask ourselves the question, am I a disciple? We shouldn't assume that we're a disciple. We should ask the question, am I a disciple of Jesus? Has Jesus come and rescued me? Am I following Jesus, believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, enjoying the person of Jesus? Has there been a moment where I have pushed my life all in with the person of Jesus? Am I a disciple? If not, Jesus has you here this morning to do this work in your heart. So just there where you are, you can even now be calling out to Jesus. You can be saying, Jesus, rescue me. Here I am. I am trusting in you. And God would just love to do that today. Am I a disciple? You need to make sure you're answering that question from this text today. Am I in Christ, believing, trusting, enjoying the person of Jesus? Secondly, am I making disciples? I, want you, I really just want to create a little bit of space for you this morning to ask that question. Am I making disciples? Look back over your last week, last month, your last year. Am I making disciples? We say this uh, in our staff context here a lot, uh, but we'll say this phrase, you have nothing better to do than make disciples. And it's true, you have nothing better to do than make disciples. Now, there's a lot of things that um, I often think would be better to do. It often feels better to veg out in front of a TV for a few hours. It never feels like the best thing to do at 5.30 a.m. when I'm getting up to meet a few guys. It never feels better then. There's a lot of things that feel better to, to do. But this is when I have to let the 70-year-old version of me talk to the 40-year-old version of me. And do you know what that 70-year-old version just keeps whispering? There is nothing better to do with your days than to make disciples. And if you're 70, maybe you need to let the 90-year-old version of you. Maybe we all need to listen to the uh, in-the-next-life version of us, like in eternity with Jesus whispering back to us, there is nothing better to do with your days than make disciples. So ask yourself, am I making disciples? 
What should this look like in your life? Gosh, there is no way to give a cookie cutter answer because all of our lives are so different and distinct in this room. So I want to invite you to think about that question. What should, what could this look like in my life? That would be a great question this week as you go to your home group and you spend some time with your kind of crew at Stonegate for for you to ask that question. What could or should this look like in my life? That'd be a great question to to get some clarity on. If, If you're married, Uh, there's your first layer. What what does it look like between me and my spouse? If you've got kids, there's another layer. What does it look like uh, with with my kids? As a parent, you are a pastor, a disciple-making pastor. That's what God has called you to be in your home. But beyond uh, those two sort of areas of disciple-making, to ask the question, do I have a clearly defined crew that I am intentionally helping become more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. Do I have a crew? Not just a one-off moment where I'm doing deliberate good, but an intentional group of people where I am trying to help them be everything that Jesus would ask them to be. Do I have a crew that I am intentionally helping? And listen, you don't have to be weird about it. I mean, it can be as simple as looking at a couple of guys and saying, hey, you want to study a book of the Bible together? Let's just, uh, we'll meet up once a week and read through this book of the Bible and let's read a chapter or maybe two a week and let's talk about what the Lord's uh, talking to us about, what we're seeing and observing in the text, questions we have about the text. That would be a great way to do this. It's not weird. It's just like what Christians do, right? Uh, you, you could go to our website and look under resources and our recommended reading and just pick any one of those books you wanted to off there. And just say, hey, I'm going to read this book. Would you want to jump in with me for the next few uh, weeks or maybe months as we read through this? We'll just read a chapter or two a week, meet every other week or so, and talk about what we're learning here. It's just intentionally looking at people and saying, I want to do them spiritual good. I want to help them become more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. And for our seasoned saints in the room, you've been following Jesus for a long time. I just want to give you some vision for what that could or even should look like in a church family. We've got a lot of people who aren't as seasoned as you. And what would it look like for you to develop some vision for your life that just says at any given time, I'm going to have a crew or two of people around Stonegate that I'm investing in doing deliberate good in their life to help them become more of what Jesus would have them be. Gosh, if you are a seasoned saint in the room, please give your life to this around our church family. And if you are an unseasoned saint in the room, right? You're just needing some people who are more mature, have a a few more days following Jesus under their belt than you do. If you need some of their investment in your life to help you along the way, I would just invite you to, to be looking around for people who are mature around here, who are seasoned, and look at them and say, would you please meet with me every couple of weeks? I could just use a voice in my life like yours to help me become more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. This is just what normative life in a church is meant to be like. All of us helping one another become more like Jesus. So one of the things I'm just asking the Lord for is for us to catch a vision of that today, for for you to catch a vision of that today, what that could look like in your life. Are you making disciples? You've got nothing better to do with your days than this. One day when you step into eternity and you're looking back over your life, you're going to see that with clarity. 
that there's nothing I could have done that would be better than that. So let's give our days and our time and our energy and our effort to it now. Are you making disciples? That's the command. Make disciples. Go and make disciples. And then here's the confidence, and we'll end right here. The confidence. There's the command in this passage, and then Jesus gives us the confidence. This command is set between two confidence-creating promises. Here's the first one on the first side of the command. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's the front side. And then here's the back side, side two. Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority, I am with you. All authority, and, and I will be with you every day of your life. So I think part of what Jesus knows is when we come to this command, we have a hundred layers of resistance in us. It's one of the reasons that we know this command, but we don't often do this one. We have all sorts of resistance inside of us, all sorts of fears. And Jesus is looking at us and saying, hey, can I just instill some confidence into your heart today? As you journey down this road of disciple making, my power and my presence will be with you every single step along the way. My power, all authority. As you walk down this road of making disciples, as you, as you give your life to this, as you go and make disciples, my power will meet you with every single need along the way. Every single need. My presence. As you journey down this road of disciple making, I am going to be with you. I'm going to be walking right beside you every single step. So when you don't know the answer to the question, it's going to be all right because I'm going to be right there. My power, my presence with you every single step as you make disciples. So church, let's give our life to this. Let's stack our hands on this. This is what we do. This is the North Star. We enjoy Jesus and church. We make disciples. Will you pray with me? I want to give you just a moment to... Allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be helpful this morning. Maybe for some, that is taking that step toward Jesus, that decisive step to become a disciple. And if that's you, just call out to God in the best way you know how right there where you are. He would love to do that saving, redeeming work in you. For others, maybe that's baptism. Maybe that's your next step of publicly identifying with the person of Jesus. And then for the rest of us in the room, here's your question. Am I making disciples? If not, this is your opportunity. God is not putting this text in the Bible to shame you. 
He's putting this in the Bible to set the North Star in front of you and to say, give your life to that. And if you're not, this is a chance to repent, to reorient your life around the big things. So Father, would you help us? Would you give us clarity? Would you show us what this could look like in our lives? God, would you help us feel the force of that word, go. Go, make disciples. God, give us a responsive heart, ready to respond to you, ready to say yes to you today. And it's in the good name of Jesus that we ask it. Amen.